about the marshmallow test. It's a test that psychologists invented, a, a research project. It illustrates a lack of self-control and delayed gratification. Here's what happens. The instructor comes in and gives the kids a marshmallow and tells them they can eat it whenever they want to or they can wait and when the instructor comes back, they will give them a second marshmallow. So they have two marshmallows and they can eat them at the time. It shows a, uh, uh, or illustrates a lack of self-control and delayed gratification. But in 2020, the experiment was changed a little bit. And what they did was they gave the students, the kids, a cookie, and they put two kids together. And they said, if you wait and don't eat the cookie, when I come back, I'll give you another cookie so each of you will have two. The results showed that when they worked as pair together, the, the, uh, there were significantly more kids that waited instead of going ahead and eating the cookie. The survey said it's better when you work together. You know, a lot of times we've known that. We know that in a lot of things. When we come together, when we work together, when we help somebody, when we help each other, that things just usually seem to go better and work out better. Stu Weber is a preacher and a Christian author. He says in 1967, in the midst of the Vietnam War, he found himself at U.S. Army Ranger School at Fort Benning, Georgia. He remembered very vividly the sergeant instructing them, we are here to save your lives. We're going to see to it that you overcome all your natural fears. We're going to show you just how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we're finished with you, you will be the U.S. Army's best. And then he said, here's your first assignment. They thought they're probably going to have to put on a pack and full gear and go on a 10-mile hike, or they were going to have to rappel off a cliff or something like that. But he said, no, your first assignment is to find a ranger buddy. Here's what the sergeant said. You will stick together. You will never leave each other. You will encourage each other. And if necessary, you will carry each other. It was the Army's way of saying, Weber said, that we're better when we're together. You know, we know the strength of numbers. We've been going through this series called Lessons from a Pandemic. And we've talked about all kinds of topics as we've gone through. God is still in control. We talked about don't take life for granted. We talked about even in the midst of stress, we have to adapt and adjust. We said that sometimes life will go from hard to even harder. And last week we talked about even in the midst of trouble and hard times, we should be eager as God's people to do good. Today I want you to think about the topic of being better together. God wants us to come together. I asked the question today, why does Christ call his church to come together on a regular basis? I mean, wouldn't it be something if God just says, okay, you gave your life to me, now go your own way, do your own thing, just be good and try to love God and love people and just do whatever you want to do and don't worry about anybody else or anything else, 
you're saved and you're going to heaven. But God had a grander plan than that. God established his church. The church is actually the kingdom of God here on earth. It's God's people. It's the community of God's people. And it's expressed in local congregations throughout this world. And God wants everybody to be part of one of those local congregations. Here's why God causes people to come together. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you will look it up on the phone. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Now, in the book of Ephesians, in the first chapter, verse 1, it says, To God's holy people in Ephesus. But they found ancient manuscripts where it just says, To God's holy people. So this was a circular letter. It was given and passed around, probably originated to the church of Ephesus. And then they copied it and passed it on to other churches in that area of Asia Minor uh, back in the first century. Now, the great thing about the book of Ephesians, the first half of it is about theology. It tells us kind of what to believe about Christ and salvation. The second part of it is real practical. Verses 4 through 6 tell us some practical ways to live our lives. And this section we're going to look at today answers the question, why church followers should come together. Let's look at chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse 11. So Christ gave himself, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. This is the first thing I want you to think about. Christ desires that his church grow in number. You see, he set a leadership for the church. He appointed apostles. Now, apostles were appointed by Christ. They were to establish the church. They also wound up giving us the New Testament. In the early days of the church, they didn't have the New Testament. There were also prophets. These are men that were given visions by God, words by God, to help before the New Testament was given, to, to go out and assist the apostles and spread the message of Jesus. Then there, he talks about evangelist. An evangelist was a traveling preacher. He would go and spend some time in one church, uh, bring a message, help that church, strengthen that church, maybe correct some things that were wrong. If you read the books of First and Second Timothy in your New Testament, you'll see that Paul calls Timothy uh, to do the work of an evangelist. We still have evangelists today that spread the message of God. Then there are pastors and teachers. These, that's, that's one person, one office, in the way the original Greek is constructed. And that means leaders and shepherds and overseers and elders who are in the local church. And their job, it says very clearly here, their job was to equip the people in the church to serve <clears throat> so that, it says, the body of Christ, that's a church, may be built up. That means to grow in number. You know, Christ wants his church to grow. He wants this church to grow. He wants every church to grow. God didn't put this church here so it would be half full. God wants it to be full. And he wants his people to work toward that end to bring people in to fill the church in. Uh, 
over in Luke chapter 14 and also in the book of Matthew records a parable that Jesus told. Matthew tells us that uh, the parable was about a king who was having a wedding party for his son. And he invited people to come, and then the day came for the party, and he sent his service to tell the people the food was ready, the party was ready, but a lot of people didn't come. They had other interests. But then the king goes to his servant, and here's what Luke says he said. Go out quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now you got to know that Jesus wasn't talking about a king and a wedding party. What he was talking about is his church his kingdom here on earth. And Jesus wants that kingdom full. He wants his churches full of people. He wants us to come together and people to be brimming with joy as they come in and they sing and they pray and they study God's word and they fellowship together uh, and they do ministry together. He has called us to be a hospital for the hurting, to be a uh, hope for the hopeless, to be counsel for the corrupted, to be encouragement for the discouraged, to a place where people can find a vibrant spiritual life and be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And more than that, every person on this earth is important to God. And God wants every person to be part of His church. That's why, part of why, we need to come together. We need to come together to uh, lift each other up. I was reading this week, a few years ago, 2016, Billy Graham Center did a survey of unchurched Americans. And the survey asked these people uh, how they perceive Christians and Christianity. Uh, their view of Christianity, their willingness to talk about faith matters with Christians, how they should respond to being invited to church and which types of invitation they would be most willing to accept. You know what the data found, despite what you may think? That unchurched Americans think well of Christians and are open to matters of faith. 42% of the unchurched said Christianity is good for society. 33% admire their Christian friends and their faith. 67% of unchurched people said they would come to church under the right circumstances if they were simply invited by a friend. Look at your unchurched friends. Most of them are open to coming to a church if they don't have one to go to. The Bible certainly instructs us to pray for and to reach out to unchurched people. This summer, later on in August, we're going to start a campaign. Now, it's not a campaign to raise money. It's a campaign to raise people, to build up God's church. And we're going to do a campaign called Pray and Go. And in this uh, Pray and Go campaign, we're going to learn about how we can pray for people and how we can reach out to other people. Now, you don't have to wait on the campaign. You can start doing it now. But when we go through that campaign in August, you will learn ways to to bring people into church and help Jesus' kingdom grow. Jesus certainly called us to go 
and make disciples and bring people together. But that's not all Christ is concerned about. Look in the scripture text here at verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Now think about this. Christ desires that his church grows in unity. That's part of the job of the leaders is to, is to help the church be unified. You know, so often unity is misunderstood. You know, people think about unity as everybody acts the same way, looks the same way, behaves the same way. But unity in the church has more to do with vision. It has to do with everybody getting focused on what God wants to do. God calls us together as a diverse group of people. I remember several, a uh, couple years ago, I was teaching on a Wednesday night, and I just happened to look around and think about the people in the room. We had doctor, we had a lawyer, we had blue-collar workers, we had a homeless person in that meeting. We have people in our church from all walks of life. We have people all the way from newborn babies up to 90-something years old. We don't have any that are 100 right now, but we got some that are close, that are part of our church. That's a diverse group of people. We're not going to all look the same. We're not going to all act the same. But what Christ wants us to be unified in our focus and what he desires, it really boils down to two things. Here's what God wants his church to do. He wants it to reach and teach. Re say that, reach and teach. That's what God wants his church to do. He wants us to reach out to the lost people, and he wants us to teach the saved people. Now, how we do that, that's always going to be changing. Somebody said this. I don't know who the quote was first originated with. Methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. And one of the main principles that we act on here in our church is that every human on earth needs Jesus Christ to be saved. And that it's the church's job to reach out and help people come to know who Jesus is. Now, how we do that is going to change. Imagine if you were in the first century, or you went back to the first century, and you said, hey, Paul, you know, years from now, uh, people are going to have a little handheld box, and they're going to watch a video of church service on that little box. What do you think Paul would say? First thing he'd say is, what's a video? Okay? But look at the methods we use today. Almost every person that visits our church, I say, how'd you hear about us? Well, we actually watched you online before we came. It's amazing to me. They heard me preach and they still come. But, and y'all are laughing too much about that. I want you to remember what our motto is, our slogan that we go by here at Central. We say, connecting people to Christ to make devoted disciples. Now, the first part of that, connecting people to Christ, that has to do with the reach. It's about reaching out. The second part is about teaching. But if you go back to the Scripture in Matthew 28, 19, this is what Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples, of all nations, that means all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That has to do with outreach. That, that reach part. 
That is connecting people to Christ. You know how connected you are to Christ? The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, when you are baptized, when you are going down into the water, it is as though you are dying with Christ. Underneath that water, you are buried in a watery grave with Christ. And then it says you're raised with Christ to a new life. That's connection. That's what we're here to, is to bring people to a connection. But that's not the end of the story. That's only the beginning of their Christian walk with Jesus. Then they are to be teached. And look at what it says. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Christ then wants us to teach people, those that are saved, so that they will grow. And you know, the church has to be unified in that for purpose for us to be effective. You know, in, at our church, we're committed to reaching all kinds of people. We still have two styles of worship service. Nine o'clock, we have the traditional style. Be honest with you, we still, every year, we get a few people that join that service because they like that style of worship. Uh, we have this contemporary service, and every year we have people come in to, to uh, join this service. We're committed to continuing that as long as both of those services are being effective. Unity is not about everybody dressing the same way. It's not about everybody singing the same kind of music. It's not about everybody doing the same ministry. In fact, we are very diverse in the different ministries that we have here at Central Christian Church. A few years ago, my friend Dean Davis was the, uh, he was the um, church relations person at Johnson University. And his job was to go out to churches and to talk to them and get them to send students to the university and then hopefully get them to support the university. And he shows up to this little church out in the country, and he was early, and nobody wasn't there. And so he gets out, and he starts looking around, and he saw this graveyard next to the church. And he said that was the absolute most beautiful graveyard he had ever seen in his life. He said it looked as though, you know, it was manicured like a golf course. The grass was perfect. Everything was painted. The fence around it was just in perfect repair. He'd never seen a graveyard as beautiful as this graveyard. And then a guy showed up, and he got out of his car and walked over and introduced himself, and he said, you must be that guy from Johnson. You come up here to try to pry our money away from us. And he said, well, I, I hope you'll support the college. He said, we won't. Every bit of money we get goes into keeping this graveyard in pristine, perfect shape. And Dean said, you know, that's amazing that Christ had called the church to reach out to people, and they're more concerned about the dead than they are about the people that are alive and need to know Jesus. Jesus calls us to be unified in reaching out to the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with the church having a graveyard and keeping that graveyard nice, but when it gets in the way of reaching and teaching people, then the church has lost its focus and is certainly not unified with Christ. Think about this for a minute. Now, put the reach and teach up. Reach, what that means is to go and show. We go out and we show people who Jesus is. St. Francis of Assisi said, share the gospel and all you do, use words if you have to. 
He was saying, you know, your life ought to show Jesus Christ to the world. Teach. That's about knowing and growing. It's about knowing Jesus and growing to spiritual maturity. And we can all do that if we put our minds to it. And we should be unified as a church. You know, you can't be unified if you don't come together. If you don't spend time together and, and learn from each other and grow. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4, the rest of verse 13. It said, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ. That says, when we grow to maturity, that's godly wisdom, we're going to grow closer to the fullness of Christ. That's spiritual maturity is what we call that. Now, spiritual maturity is not instantaneous. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, you're not instantly this mature Christian that's able to know everything and do everything. It happens over time. It happens as you read and study the Bible. It happens as you sit under the teaching in a good church. It happens as you apply what you learn. It happens as you pray and you seek the guidance of the Lord. It happens as you face situations in life and, and you apply into your life the things that you learn. It won't happen in a vacuum. It's only going to really happen if you meet together with other believers, that you sit under good teaching, that you share, that you challenge each other, that you hold each other accountable. And really, growing best happens in a small group. You know, we kind of had to shut all of our small groups down during uh, COVID, but hopefully by August, we'll have them all back up and running, all of our Sunday school classes. We'll have our small group program started back. Maybe you want to start a small group in your home where you gather a few people together each week. You know, a small group, uh, a life group, we call them, is just a group where you meet together, uh, you have fellowship, you have prayer, and you study the Bible together. And you learn and you grow. That's where most of the spiritual growth really comes about when you get involved in one of those small groups. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head that is Christ you see what he says we will become the mature body of Christ you know what the body of Christ is? It's the community of the saved. It's the people that form a community together for the purpose of reaching others and teaching each other. It's a place where you become part of something that's so much bigger than you are alone. It's a place where you can love and be loved, where you can serve and be served, where you can grow and you can help others grow, where you can give and if need be, you can be given to where you can live a life connected to Christ and be his body and be connected to other people and worship together. You know, you can worship by yourself, but how much better when you come together with a large group of people and worship 
and lift up his name. It's a place of commitment. And here's our connection. We are better at achieving the desires of Christ as for his church when we come together on a regular basis. But it all happens when we start with our faith in Jesus Christ. When we connect to him and when we commit to him. Look at verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We build up in love as we come together and each part does its part. You know, I, I do this every now and then, and I want to share with you today. There are passages of Scripture in the Bible. I call them one another passages. Listen to some of these Scriptures. John 13, 34, Jesus said, Love one another. Romans 12, 10, Be devoted to one another. Romans 12, 16, Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Encourage one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Bear with one another in love. Submit to one another. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Offer hospitality to one another. Have fellowship with one another. That's all about community. You can't do those one another passages when you're alone when you're apart from the body of Christ. That's why call Paul, uh, the Bible calls us to be part of that community, the community of the saved that want to reach and teach and are unified in Christ's purpose as they grow to maturity. A couple of years ago, there's a Christian author named uh, Richard Swenson who spoke at the North American Christian Convention. And I heard Richard, I went to his workshop, and he has a best-selling book named Margin. And he talks about putting margin in your life, that is, some, some free time and freeing up your money so that you can enjoy life. And when something comes along that you want to do, you have time to do it. We live so maxed out on our time, and we're so stressed all the time. But he says in the community of the believers, if we make margin, then when good things come along, we'll have time to do them. When ministry needs to be done, we won't be so maxed out. We can't go help our other brothers and sisters. We have that margin. But he was talking about this in another workshop, and he had a group of people there, and all day they've been talking about what the community of the church should look like. At the end, he was taking some questions, and there was one Amish man that had come to sit in the seminar. And, that, and somebody asked him, said, David, we hadn't heard you say anything all day long. What does community mean to you? And he said, this Amish man stood up slowly, long beard, wise looking, his, his wide brim hat on, and he said, what does community mean to me? In the spring of the year, I look out across my community, and I see all my brothers and sisters from church and they're all out plowing their ground, they're planting their seed, and they're going to cultivate that and grow a crop. And so will I. But he said, I know that if I fall in a hole and break my leg, I don't have to worry about plowing my ground and planting my seed 
and cultivating my crop because all that community of believers will come and take care of my property until I'm able to do it myself. Richard Swenson said, I'm glad he was the last one to speak because I don't want to get up and speak after that. That's what the church is. It's the community of believers who are unified in Christ's purpose to love one another, to reach and teach the rest of the world. And that's what Christ calls us to be. And I hope through this whole COVID mess, we have learned how difficult it was to be not together and apart. We're better when we come together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your teaching. Lord, for your call on us as your people to be the kingdom of God here on earth, to be the church, to be the community of believers, to love one another, to reach and teach so that the whole world can come to know the love that you have, the grace that you have, the community that you want to build. Help us to be part of that, something bigger than ourselves, that we might find satisfaction as we go out into the world and be a light for Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and praise today.